Section two of the Symposium by Plato. Translated by Benjamin Jowett. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. I will do both, said Artaxamachus. I will speak in your turn. And do you speak in mine? And while I am speaking, let me recommend you to hold your breath. And if after you have done so for some time, the hiccough is no better, then gargle with a little water, and if it still continues, tickle your nose with something and sneeze. And if you sneeze once or twice, even the most violent hiccough is sure to go. I will do as you prescribe, said Aristophanes. And now get on. Eryximachus spoke as follows. Seeing that Pausanias made a fair beginning, and but a lame ending, I must endeavour to supply his deficiency. I think that he has rightly distinguished two kinds of love. But my art further informs me that the double love is not merely an affection of the soul of man towards the fair or towards anything, but is to be found in the bodies of all animals and in the productions of the earth. And I may say in all that is, such is the conclusion which I seem to have gathered from my own art of medicine, whence I learn how great and wonderful and universal is the deity of love, whose empire extends over all things, divine as well as human. And for medicine, I will begin that I may do honour to my art. There are in the human body these two kinds of love, which are confessedly different and unlike, and being unlike, they have loves and desires which are unlike, and the desire of the healthy is one, and the desire of the deceased is another. And as Pausanias was just now saying, that to indulge good men is honourable, and bad men dishonourable, so too in the body the good and healthy elements are to be indulged, and the bad elements and the elements of disease are not to be indulged but discouraged and this is what the physician has to do and in this the art of medicine consists for medicine may be regarded generally as the knowledge of the love and desires of the body and how to satisfy them or not and the best physician is he who is able to separate fair love from foul or to convert one into the other, and he knows how to eradicate and how to implant love, whichever is required, and can reconcile the most hostile elements in the constitution and make them loving friends, is a skilful practitioner. Now the most hostile are the most opposite, such as hot and cold, bitter and sweet, moist and dry, and the like. And my ancestor, Asclepius, knowing how to implant friendship and accord in these elements, was the creator of our art, as our friends the poets here tell us. And I believe them. And not only medicine, in every branch but the arts of gymnastic and husbandry, are under his dominion. Anyone who pays the least attention to the subject will also perceive that in music 
there is the same reconciliation of opposites and i suppose that this must have been the meaning of heracleteus although his words are not accurate for he says that the one is united by disunion like the harmony of the bow and the lyre now there is an absurdity saying that harmony is discord or is composed of elements which are still in a state of discord but what he probably meant was that harmony is composed of different notes of higher and lower pitch which disagreed once but are now reconciled by the art of music for if the higher and lower notes still disagreed there would be no harmony clearly not for harmony is a symphony and symphony is an agreement but an agreement of disagreements will they disagree there cannot be but cannot harmonize that which disagrees in like manner rhythm is compounded of elements short and long once differing and now in accord which accordance as in the former instance medicine so in all these other cases music implants making love and unison to grow up among them and thus music too is concerted with the principles of love in their application to harmony and rhythm again in the essential nature of harmony and rhythm there is no difficulty in discerning love which has not yet become double but when you want to use them in actual life either in the composition of songs or in the correct performance of airs or meters composed already which latter is called education then the difficulty begins and the good artist is needed then the old tale has to be repeated of fair and heavenly love the love of urania the fair and heavenly muse and of the duty of accepting the temperate and those who are as yet intemperate only that they may become temperate and of preserving their love and again of the vulgar polymenia who must be used with circumspection that the pleasure be enjoyed but may not generate licentiousness just as in my own art it is a greater matter so to regulate the desires of the epicure that he may gratify his tastes without the attendant evil of disease whence i infer that in music in medicine in all other things human as well as divine both loves ought to be noted as far as may be for they are both present the course of the seasons is also full of both these principles and when as i was saying the elements of hot and cold moist and dry attain the harmonious love of one another and blend in the temperance and harmony they bring to men animals and plants health and plenty and do them no harm whereas the wanton love getting the upper hand and affecting the seasons of the year is very destructive and injurious being the source of pestilence and brings many other kinds of diseases on animals and plants for hoar frost and hail and blight spring from the excesses and disorders of these elements of love 
which should now in relation to the revolutions of the heavenly bodies and the seasons of the year is termed astronomy furthermore all sacrifices and the whole province of divination which is the art of communion between gods and men these i say are concerned only with the preservation of the good and the cure of the evil love for all manner of impiety is likely to ensure if instead of accepting and honouring and reverencing the harmonious love in all his actions a man honours the other love whether in his feelings towards gods or parents towards the living or the dead wherefore the business of divination is to see to these loves and to heal them and divination is the peacemaker of gods and men working by a knowledge of the religious or irreligious tendencies which exist in human loves such is the great and mighty or rather omnipotent force of love in general and the love more especially which is concerned with the good and which is perfected in company with temperance and justice whether among gods or men has the greatest power and is the source of all our happiness and harmony and makes us friends with the gods who are above us and with one another i dare say that i too have omitted several things which might be certain praise of love but this was not intentional and you aristophanes may now supply the omission or take some other line of commendation for i perceive that you read of the hiccup yes said aristophanes who followed the hiccup is gone not however until i applied the sneezing and i wonder whether the harmony of the body has a love of such noises and ticklings for i no sooner applied the sneezing than i was cured eryximachus said beware friend aristophanes although you are going to speak you are making fun of me and i shall have to watch and see whether i cannot have a laugh at your expense when you might speak in peace you are right said aristophanes laughing i will unsay my words but do you please not to watch me as i fear that in the speech i am about to make instead of others laughing with me which is to the manner born of our muse and would be all the better i shall only be laughed at by them do you expect to shoot your bolt and escape aristophanes well perhaps if you are very careful and bear in mind that you will be called to account i may be induced to let you off aristophanes professed to open another vein of discourse he had a mind to praise love in another way unlike that either of pausanias or eryximachus mankind he said judging by their neglect of him have never as i think at all understood the power of love for if they had understood him they would surely have built noble temples and altars and offered solemn sacrifices in his honour but this is not done and most certainly ought to be done since of all the gods he is the best friend of men the helper and the healer of the ills which are the great impediment to the happiness of the race i shall try to describe his power to you and you shall teach the rest of the world what i am teaching you in the first place 
let me treat of the nature of man and what has happened to it for the original human nature was not like the present but different the sexes were not two as they are now but originally three in number there was man woman and the union of the two having a name corresponding to this double nature which had once a real existence but is now lost and the word androgynous is only preserved as a term of reproach in the second place the primeval man was round his back and sides forming a circle and he had four hands and four feet one head with two faces looking opposite ways set on a round neck and precisely alike also four ears two privy members and the remainder to correspond he could walk upright as men do now backwards or forwards as he pleased and he could also roll over and over at a great pace turning on his four hands and four feet eight in all like tumblers going over and over with their legs in the air this was when he wanted to run fast now the sexes were three and such as i have described them because the sun moon and earth are three and the man was originally the child of the sun the woman of the earth and the man-woman of the moon which is made up of sun and earth and they were all round and moved round and round like their parents terrible was their might and strength and the thoughts of their heart were great and they made an attack upon the gods of them is told the tale of otis and ephialtes who as homer says dared to scale heaven and would have laid hands upon the gods doubt reigned in the celestial councils should they kill and annihilate the race with thunderbolts as they had done the giants then there would be an end of the sacrifices and worship which men offered to them but on the other hand the gods could not suffer their insolence to be unrestrained at last after a good deal of reflection zeus discovered a way he said methinks i have a plan which will humble their pride and improve their manners men shall continue to exist but i will cut them in two and they will be diminished in strength and increased in numbers this will have the advantage of making them more profitable to us they shall walk upright on two legs and if they continue insolent and will not be quiet i will split them again and they shall hop about on a single leg he spoke and cut men in two like a sorb apple which is halved for pickling or as you might divide an egg with a hair and as he cut them one after another he bade apollo give the face and the half of the neck a turn in order that the man might contemplate the section of himself he would thus learn a lesson of humility apollo was also bidden to heal their wounds and compose their forms so he gave a turn to the face and pulled the skins from the sides all over that which is in our language called the belly like the purses which draw in and he made one mouth at the centre which he fastened in a knot the same which is called the navel he also moulded the breast and took out most of the wrinkles much as a shoemaker might smooth leather upon a last he left a few however in the region of the belly and navel as a memorial of the primeval state after the division the two parts of man each desiring his other half came together and throwing their arms about one another entwined in mutual embraces longing to grow into one 
they were on the point of dying from hunger and self-neglect because they did not like to do anything apart and when one of the halves died and the other survived the survivor sought another mate man or woman as we call them being the sections of entire men and women and clung to that they were being destroyed when zeus in pity of them invented a new plan he turned the parts of generation round to the front for this had not always been their position and they sowed the seed no longer as hitherto like grasshoppers in the ground but in one another and after the transposition the male generated in the female in order that by the mutual embraces of man and woman they might breed and the race might continue or if man came to man they might be satisfied and rest and go their ways to the business of life so ancient is the desire of one another which is implanted in us reuniting our original nature making one of two and healing the state of man each of us when separated having one side only like a flat fish is but the indenture of a man and he is always looking for his other half men who are the section of that double nature which was once called androgynous are lovers of women adulterers are generally of this breed and also adulterous women who lust after men the women who are a section of the woman do not care for men but have female attachments the female companions are of this sort but they who are a section of the male follow the male and while they are young being slices of the original man they hang about men and embrace them and they themselves are the best of boys and youth because they have the most manly nature some indeed assert that they are shameless but this is not true for they do not act thus from any want of shame but because they are valiant and manly and have a manly countenance and they embrace that which is like them and these when they grow up become our statesmen and these only which is a great proof of the truth of what i am saying when they reach manhood they are lovers of youth and are not naturally inclined to marry or beget children if at all they do so only in obedience to the law but they are satisfied if they may be allowed to live with one another unwedded and such a nature is prone to love and ready to return love always embracing that which is akin to him and when one of them meets with his other half the actual half of himself whether he be a lover of youth or a lover of another sort the pair are lost in amazement of love and friendship and intimacy and one will not be out of the other's sight as i may say even for a moment these are the people who pass their whole lives together yet they could not explain what they desire of one another for the intense yearning which each of them has towards the other does not appear to be the desire of lovers intercourse but something else which the soul of either evidently desires and cannot tell and of which she has only the dark and doubtful presentiment suppose hephaestus with his instruments could come to the pair who are lying side by side and say to them what do you people want of one another they would be unable to explain and suppose further that he saw their perplexity and he said do you desire to be wholly one always day and night to be in one another's company if this is what you desire i am ready to melt you into one and let you grow together 
so that being two you shall become one and while you live live a common life as if you were a single man and after your death in the world below still be one departed soul instead of two i ask whether this is what you lovingly desire and whether you are satisfied to attain this there is not a man of them who when he heard the proposal would deny or would not acknowledge that this meeting and melting into one another this becoming one instead of two was the very expression of his ancient need and the reason is that human nature was originally one and we were a whole and the desire and pursuit of the whole is called love there was a time i say when we were one but now because of the wickedness of mankind god has dispersed us as the arcadians were dispersed into villages by the lacedaemonians and if we are not obedient to the gods there is a danger that we shall be split up again and go about in basso relievo like the profile figures having only half a nose which are sculptured on monuments and that we shall be like tallies wherefore let us exhort all men to piety that we may avoid evil and obtain the good of which love is to us the lord and minister and let no one oppose him he is the enemy of the gods who opposes him for if we are friends of the god and at peace with him we shall find our own true loves which rarely happens in this world at present i am serious and therefore i must beg eryximachus not to make fun or find any allusion in what i am saying to pausanias and agathon who as i suspect are both of the manly nature and belong to the class which i have been describing but my words have a wider application they include men and women everywhere and i believe that if our loves were perfectly accomplished and each one returning to his primeval nature had his original true love then our race would be happy and if this would be best of all the best in the next degree and under present circumstances must be the nearest approach to such a union and that will be the attainment of a congenial love wherefore if we praise him who has given to us the benefit we must praise the god love who is our greatest benefactor both leading us in this life back to our own nature and giving us high hopes for the future for he promises that if we are pious he will restore to us our original state and heal us and make us happy and blessed this eryximachus is my discourse on love which although different to yours i must beg you to leave unassaulted by the shafts of your ridicule in order that each may have his turn each or rather either for agathon and socrates are the only ones left indeed i am not going to attack you said eryximachus for i thought your speech charming and did i not know that agathon and socrates are masters in the art of love i should be really afraid that they would have nothing to say after the world of things which have been said already but for all that i am not without hopes socrates said you played your part well eryximachus but if you were as i am now or rather as i shall be when agathon has spoken you would indeed be in a great strait you want to cast a spell over me socrates 
said agathon in the hope that i may be disconcerted at the expectation raised among the audience that i shall speak well i should be strangely forgetful agathon replied socrates of the courage and magnanimity which you showed when your own compositions were about to be exhibited and you came upon the stage with the actors and faced the vast theatre altogether undismayed if i thought that your nerves could be fluttered at a small party of friends do you think socrates said agathon that my head is so full of the theatre as not to know how much more formidable to a man of sense a few good judges are than many fools nay replied socrates i should be very wrong in attributing to you agathon that or any other want of refinement and i am quite aware that if you happened to meet with any whom you thought wise you would care for their opinion much more than for that of the many but then we having been a part of the foolish many in the theatre cannot be regarded as the select wise though i know that if you chance to be in the presence not of one of ourselves but of some really wise man you would be ashamed of disgracing yourself before him would you not yes said agathon but before the many you would not be ashamed if you thought that you were doing something disgraceful in their presence here phaedrus interrupted them saying do not answer him my dear agathon for if he can only get a partner with whom he can talk, especially a good-looking one, he will no longer care about the completion of our plan. Now, I love to hear him talk, but just at present I must not forget the encomium on love which I ought to receive from him, and from everyone. When you and he have paid your tribute to the god, then you may talk. Very good, Phaedrus, said Agathon. I see no reason why I should not proceed with my speech as I shall have many other opportunities of conversing with Socrates. Let me say first how I ought to speak, and then speak. The previous speakers, instead of praising the god love, or unfolding his nature, appear to have congratulated mankind on the benefits which he confers upon them. But I would rather praise the god first, and then speak of his gifts. This is always the right way of praising everything. May I say, without impiety or offence, that of all the blessed gods, he is the most blessed, because he is the fairest and best. And he is the fairest, for, in the first place, he is the youngest, and of his youth he is himself the witness, fleeing out of the way of age, who is swift enough, swifter truly than most of us like. Love hates him, and will not come near him, but youth and love live and move together, like to like, as the proverb says. Many things were said by Phaedrus about love, in which I agree with him, but I cannot agree that he is older than Iapetus and Cronos. Not so. I maintain him to be the youngest of the gods, and youthful ever. The ancient doings among the gods of which Hesiod and Parmenides spoke if the tradition of them be true, were done of necessity and not of love. Had love been in those days, there would have been no 
chaining or mutilation of the gods or other violence but peace and sweetness as there is now in heaven since the rule of love began love is young and also tender he ought to have a poet like homer to describe his tenderness as homer says of ate that she is a goddess and tender her feet are tender for she sets her steps not on the ground but on the heads of men herein is an excellent proof of her tenderness that she walks not upon the hard but upon the soft let us adduce a similar proof of the tenderness of love for he walks not upon the earth nor yet upon the skulls of men which are not so very soft but in the hearts and souls of both gods and men which are of all things the softest in them he walks and dwells and makes his home not in every soul without exception for where there is hardness he departs where there is softness there he dwells and nestling always with his feet and in all manner of ways in the softest of soft places how can he be other than the softest of all things of a truth he is the tenderest as well as the youngest and also he is a flexile form for if he were hard and without flexure he could not enfold all things or wind his way into and out of every soul of man undiscovered and a proof of his flexibility and symmetry of form is his grace which is universally admitted to be in an especial manner the attribute of love ungrace and love are always at war with one another the fairness of his complexion is revealed by his habitation among the flowers for he dwells not amid bloomless or fading beauties whether of body or soul or aught else but in the place of flowers and scents there he sits and abides concerning the beauty of the god i have said enough and yet there remains much more which i might say of his virtue i now have to speak his greatest glory is that he can neither do nor suffer wrong to or from any god or any man for he suffers not by force if he suffers force comes not near him neither when he acts does he act by force for all men in all things serve him of their own free will and where there is voluntary agreement there as the laws which are the lords of the city say is justice and not only is he just but exceedingly temperate for temperance is the acknowledged ruler of the pleasures and desires and no pleasure ever masters love he is their master and they are his servants and if he conquers them he must be temperate indeed as to courage even the god of war is no match for him he is the captive and love is the lord for love the love of aphrodite masters him as the tale runs and the master is stronger than the servant and if he conquers the bravest of all others he must be himself the bravest of his courage and justice and temperance i have spoken but i have yet to speak of his wisdom and according to the measure of my ability i must try to do my best in the first place 
he is a poet and here like eryximachus i magnify my art and he is also the source of poesy in others which he could not be if he were not himself a poet and at the touch of him every one becomes a poet even though he had no music in him before this is also a proof that love is a good poet and accomplished in all the fine arts for no one can give to another that which he has not himself or teach that of which he has no knowledge who will deny that the creation of the animals is his doing are they not all the works of his wisdom born and begotten of him and as to the artists do we not know that he only of them whom love inspires has the light of fame he whom love touches not walks in darkness the arts of medicine and archery and divination were discovered by apollo under the guidance of love and desire so that he too is a disciple of love also the melody of the muses the metallurgy of hephaestus the weaving of athene the empire of zeus over gods and men are all due to love who was the inventor of them and so love set in order the empire of the gods the love of beauty as is evident for with deformity love has no concern in the days of old as i began by saying dreadful deeds were done among the gods for they were ruled by necessity but now since the birth of love and from the love of the beautiful has sprung every good in heaven and earth therefore phaedrus i say of love that he is the fairest and best in himself and the cause of what is fairest and best in all other things and there comes into my mind a line of poetry in which he is said to be the god who gives peace on earth and calms the stormy deep who stills the winds and bids the sufferer sleep this is he who empties men of disaffection and fills them with affection who makes them to meet together at banquets such as these in sacrifices feasts dances he is our lord who sends courtesy and sends away discourtesy who gives kindness ever and never gives unkindness the friend of the good the wonder of the wise the amazement of the gods desired by those who have no part in him and precious to those who have the better part in him parent of delicacy luxury desire fondness softness grace regardful of the good regardless of the evil in every word work wish fear saviour pilot comrade helper glory of gods and men leader best and brightest in whose footsteps let every man follow sweetly singing in his honour and joining in that sweet strain with which love charms the souls of gods and men such is the speech phaedrus half playful yet having a certain measure of seriousness which according to my ability i dedicate to the god End of section 2